circularity is a tool to achieve sustainable business practices. Absolutely. And it's probably one of the absolute most important ones. But understanding that doesn't mean that you understand how to do circularity. My name is Patrick Hübscher, and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building, and managing circular business models. She's a lawyer by training, but a sustainability enthusiast by practice. She's a former head of sustainability at IKEA's Inca Group focusing on last mile, customer, and co-worker transportation. At the COP26, she was the road transport lead within the Climate Champions team. For nearly two years, she has been the global director of sustainability at Kearney, supporting clients to transition to the truly sustainable business practices. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Angela, what was the last thing you personally underestimated? Oh, I underestimate things all the time. I'm, uh, it comes with being a, an optimist, I think. The last thing I underestimated was probably the time it actually takes to prepare when you do something. That even if you know a topic well and you know what you want to say, you should probably assign more time for actual in-depth research and preparations. Okay, yeah, I can relate to that. Let's talk about underestimating circularity in business. What do businesses normally think circularity is? Normally, I'd say businesses think that circularity is something that will maybe save them to some extent, but they don't know exactly what the save is or exactly how it's going to save them. So I think there's still a lot of question marks around circularity. What does it actually mean? And I know we've been talking about circularity for a really long time and, you know, we're all used to the, uh, like to the charts and, and the butterfly from Ellen uh, MacArthur Foundation. But so when we say, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, what does that actually mean? What does that mean for a utility company? What does that mean for an automotive company? And what does that mean for a heavy industrial company? These are still question marks. Is this just a matter of using recycled material and maybe try to recycle the material once you're done with it? Or could it be more? So I think these are the, the questions around circularity for, for many of the industry still. And you said initially it's about saving them. Saving from what? I think the whole concept of sustainability and, you know, a transition to a, a more sustainable economy has really disrupted businesses everywhere. It's a lot like digitalization, right? It comes in disrupts every industry and everything and you have to adapt to it and it's a little bit the same with sustainability it comes in pressure is on from from financial institutions from regulators and all businesses know that they have to act in a more sustainable way but how are we ever going to get to net zero how are we going to really transition and not just you know launch a few sustainability projects and then circularity sort of emerged as, okay, this is the answer. 
if we become circular, we also become sustainable. And this is the, the tool or the framework that will, you know, save us all from the impact of climate change, uh, if you will. And I mean, it's true. Circularity is a tool to achieve sustainable business practices. Absolutely. And it's probably one of the absolute most important ones. But understanding that doesn't mean that you understand how to, how to do circularity. And what does it take to understand how to do it? Well, I think, first of all, you have to define what circularity means in your industry um, and also for your business specifically. And the thing, you know, you spoke about underestimations earlier. I think the thing that everyone underestimates is the impact changing to circular business models will have. First of all, you have to think about your business model. Because I've also seen plenty of companies setting a net zero 2040 target and maybe a 100% circular, whatever that means, uh, target. And then they make no other changes. They don't change the organization. They don't want to touch their business models. Don't want to change, you know, a, a manufacturing process maybe that they've spent 10, 15, 20 years optimizing. Uh, they make no changes in the organization and definitely no changes in how they uh, evaluate business cases for different initiatives. So you set this truly transformational target and you change nothing else. Like, how is that? How are you ever going to reach that target? And I think a lot of leaders are still underestimating how truly disruptive and transformational moving to circular business models are. Because you have to rethink most, most of the processes, the products, the services in your business, right? And, and you cannot add circularity towards the end to think like, okay, now our product has reached end of life and now we have to think about how to make it circular. You have to think about circularity right from the start. What is the product? Maybe we have to rethink what the product is, not only how it's made. It's, it's not only putting it, okay. We'll put recycled content uh, in the product. Yeah, but think about the product itself. And maybe we need to change the product and, and maybe we need to change the business model. Maybe we cannot sell the product because then we, we lose ownership. Maybe we have to lease it or maybe we need a take back scheme and maybe we need to design it in a way that we can actually disassemble it. So it's not that hard and expensive at the end to do that. So there's all these considerations that really needs to happen long before end of life, but really at the, at the very start. And I think businesses underestimate that part and they don't spend enough time to really challenge uh, the products, the services and the business models. Mm -hmm. And why is it? Do you think it's more like a lack of knowledge, lack of time, lack of willingness to spend enough time of these questions at the beginning? I I do think, it, it, you know, there is some lack of knowledge and, and not for a lack of interest, I wouldn't say, quite the opposite, uh, but just understanding circularity and defining what it means for an industry and for a business, that does take quite a bit of time um, and you have to, to go quite deep. So it's not enough to, you know, browse on, on you know, on those circularity scale sites, if you will. Um, But I think it's also, a, it's also a bit of legacy, right? Sustainability as an extra on the side, something 
nice to do once we're done with the real business. Now, this shift is already well into happening, right? Uh, we're seeing sustainability becoming a topic for the board, uh, for management teams, top of mind for most CEOs. We see increased regulation. Um, but we do see that that mindset shift, right? That we need to incorporate sustainability um, into the models. And I think we'll see the same as circularity sort of emerges as one of the main tools to actually achieve your sustainability targets. But it's going to take a bit of time, right? Change is always a bit scary. Um, you know, in many industries, there's a fair bit of resistance as well. You know, if you've spent 20 years optimizing something and you have like the perfect product with a perfect, you know, manufacturing process and a fantastic supply chain that you've spent a lot of time on, of course, there's going to be some resistance to start rethinking all of it and, you know, throwing out suppliers you've worked with for years and years and years because you need something else. Yeah, and the success of the past won't necessarily be helpful and, and save us in the future, right? No, but that's the thing, right? As with any disruption, you cannot make decisions based on past experiences. This is what happens when we see things changing very, very rapidly. And that's where we are. I mean, things have never changed this fast and they will never change this slow again, right? But much like with, you know, when the, when the mobile phone came on the market, you know, and, uh, and the company still invested billions in landlines uh, because they made that decision based on past data. And it was, you know, I'm sure from every Excel uh, mathematical aspect, the right decision. It's just that it wasn't because the world was changing around them. And the same can be said for so many products, right? Yeah. You know, the electric typewriter, they had a great run, but at some point it becomes obsolete. And, and you know, um, that's really how you have to think of something. Sometimes you also have to take a little bit of a leap of faith and just believe in something. And that requires, that requires a level of um, and bravery from business leaders to say like, look, we're going to change. We're going to change a whole lot of things. We don't know exactly what the outcome will be, and we're going to do it anyway. You said before you, you normally start with the product, looking into the product design, the materials, the requirements for that. Is there also an alternative, let's say, look to the customer needs or look to a bit more adjacent industries or processes. Would you always recommend to start with the product? Well, when I say start with the product, that always includes customers, right? Mm -hmm. The customers decide what product they want to buy. Um, so in that process, it's really important to understand the customer need. Because sometimes we give customers things they actually don't need and haven't asked for. We're just used to having it there. Uh, but by really engaging with the consumer, you can see that, oh, actually, all they want is this function. They don't mm -hmm. care about the form. They just want this function. And we can give that in a better way. But, uh, but no, obviously, the, the product is a good place to start, right? What's, how do we design it? What are the different stages of the product's lifetime? How can we design it in a way that works all the way from, from you know, buying to using to storing 
to, you know, a, a product isn't always being used. Uh, it's, you know, for instance, I don't know, take my mouse that I carry with me for my computer. I do use my mouse to move the little arrow on my computer, but my mouse also spends a fair amount of time at the bottom of my handbag where I, you know, put it. And so it doesn't, it needs to do more than just move the little arrow. It also needs to be super durable because I'm, I'm really not that protective of it. And, you know, it needs to last a long time because I never actually turn it off. So the battery drains, et cetera, et cetera. And these are the customer needs, not just to move the arrow. Um, so yes, absolutely include the consumer perspective when you design your product, but then really do make sure you design it in a way that thinks about what will happen to this product once it's done. How can we prolong the life of this product using you know, do we need to, to do spare parts? You know, that's also a great business opportunity, right? If you can also sell spare parts to your products and, and, and have that as a new stream of revenue. Uh, you know, how do we make sure we can refurbish it to last longer? And once we actually reach end of life, then what do we do with it? Can we, you know, tear it apart? in a cost-efficient way so we can actually take care of the different parts. What parts can we use again as is? What parts do we refurbish and use again? And what parts actually need to go to, into recycling? And then how do we do that at scale? Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about these things already at the start makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. um, but once you do that, again, I, I want to really, you know, underscore that it's not only the product. What is the business model? Because that's also very linear, right? We, you know, we make something, we sell something and then like good riddance and maybe if regulator comes in and tells us you're actually responsible for end of life and we're, you know, struggling to get it back. So, you know, if, if I'm then producing, I don't know, washing machines, should I sell them, you know, or should mm. I, sh is there, should I just change my business model is leasing? The better option so i remain ownership or is there you know sell but with a give and take back scheme or how does that look if i'm if i'm selling a car today if i'm selling an electric vehicle the number one asset in that car will be the battery <laughs> very valuable and there's many ways to use a battery while it's still in the car and after right so you know i can sell it and it's there to propel a vehicle forward but it could also be used for vehicle to grid, for instance. We could use that battery mm -hmm. to, to shave peaks in energy consumption and stabilize things. Uh, and maybe I want to make some money doing that, but I can't do that because I just sold the battery to a consumer. And then once, you know, you're done with the car, you could sell that battery as stationary storage or mobile storage. That's also a value, Paul. But I can't do that because I gave up the battery. And then obviously at end of life, you take that battery, there's tons of very valuable uh, minerals, et cetera, in it. But I can't get that value either if I sold the battery. So then what? Do we, do we stop selling cars or should there be a business for handling just this? Or do I just lease the cars, remain in total control? And, and, you know, use the battery as I see fit. These are the really exciting things to think about now, not just like how much recycled material can I have and what's the take back scheme, but really start consciously thinking about changing the very fundamental stuff like selling washing machines or selling cars.
Mm -hmm. If you do that, you probably come up with a couple of ideas and narrow it down. And at some point, you you do want to do some rough calculation. And then you come to a point of, let's say, belief about the future in times of uncertainty. Um, and right now, we like a bit of standard. We like a bit of experience. We, we like a bit of data. And at the same time, we do want to make business cases that cover, let's say, the next five to 10 years. And right now, we only know the infrastructure of the past, but not so much the changing infrastructure and the changing regulation in, in the next 10 years. How do you solve that problem? On the one hand, you do want to have certainty and a more or less accurate calculation of these business cases you mentioned. On the other hand, we just don't know. I mean, we know some things, right? It's not, the future is not just a, a black box. We know some things. We know that some materials um, are getting increasingly scarce, right? We know we will have a hard time accessing some materials and we really need to make do with, with what we have. We know that geopolitical events will have an impact on our energy prices, for instance. Uh, we can see the, the volatility of some key commodities and we can sort of predict roughly at least where it's going to be. So it's, uh, it's not that, you know, it's not that we go in with no data and, and don't get me wrong, like I'm all for being brave and taking a leap of faith, mm -hmm. but I do like a solid visibility. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in business, it, we're not NGOs, right? We can't do it just because it's the right thing to do. We need to be able to prove there's also a good business case. And I think they usually is. And so we know when we go into it, we can use analytics, right? We can use the data we have in the predictions. There's some prerequisites we know we have to establish to make it right. We're going to need, you know, some engineering innovations. We're going to need collaboration. We're definitely going to need partnerships. Um, we can measure, you know, estimate, of course, if we reduce waste, we reduce cost. Mm -hmm. Great, you know, both for the environment and for, uh, for the business case. So, I mean, we don't have to go in with it knowing nothing that's not what it is we just have to keep in mind that change is not linear and when change happens things take off quickly and and there's going to be some exponential growth in in some areas and in some areas we're going to see very rapid decline uh, because there's simply not a needed product service anymore mm -hmm. okay so let's say we are past the step of bringing the product or the service to the next level and also iterating on the uh, on the business case are we done or what what follows from changes on these levels i think one thing is back to underestimating actually um one thing that is constantly overlooked to some extent is of course the change management that needs to come with it Within a company, absolutely, you're going to need change management, but also with consumers, right? We're going to need to see some change in behaviors. Um, if we look at, at some industries where we think, well, this is the perfect model, you know, let's use refill. Let's have all the, I don't know, pet food or 
uh, shampoo, uh, things like this. Why would we even need all this plastic packaging? It makes no sense. Just have a bottle, go to yeah. it to a store and refill it. Perfect. Uh, and somehow it's not deployed at scale, uh, not because uh, the businesses doesn't want to. Everyone wants to get rid of packaging. It's costly. Mm -hmm. It comes with environmental impact, you know. Um, obviously, a refill model would be great for everyone, but but maybe not consumers. Maybe they are not ready to change their behaviors. Maybe they, you know, need some more time and support to go to the grocery store with a bag filled with empty containers and go for their weekly fill of, of shampoo and um, cereals and pet food and, and whatnot. Going to take a, a, a real change there. And, and here businesses need to play a role of, of raising awareness, educating, making it as convenient as possible you know, we, we can't have transformational change mm. without changing everything. And it also comes back to us as people uh, demanding more sustainable services all the time, but very reluctant to change our own behavior. I want to stick to that one more moment, because what I sometimes observe and can't separate is that sometimes you have a great product or a great service and people are not ready yet and you want to educate them. How to separate this case from sometimes a team believing it has a great product and looking for the reason that customers don't adopt it is that customers are not ready yet. So maybe it's just not a service that is not so convenient. So how can we prevent ourselves from lying to ourselves? I mean, first of all, if we include the consumer perspective at the point of design, we will hopefully not end up in those situations, right? Include the consumer perspective. They will tell you. Consumers are very honest that way. And this goes for both you and I. We don't spend money on things we don't like. I'm not going to buy something to be nice to a business. It's not going to happen, you know, unless maybe if it's a struggling entrepreneur and a friend of mine, but at scale, definitely not. Um, so obviously you need, again, to have this at the point of design uh, and design of the model and design of the product and the service so that you don't end up in a situation where you've spent all this R&D money, uh, all this you know time and resources on a prototype, on a product, that nobody cares for, you know? Why would we invest in the electric typewriter today when the computer is already on the market? It's a waste of money. And even if you have the best electric typewriter on the market, nobody's going to buy it anyway. Coming back to the change aspect, is there anything specific about circular change within change management, or is it just purely change management in the organization? I don't know. I think sometimes we like to make things more complicated than they are uh, and give certain topics a certain weight. I think when it comes to behavioral change, if I make that change because there was regulation or if I make that change because, you know, I've seen the light and I want to change my ways or if I make that change because it's the cheaper option, I'm, I don't necessarily think it matters so much to consumer. 
you know, they took away our plastic bags at the stores or started charging, you know, uh, a lot of money for bags. And we all stopped with the bags, you know, to some degree, right? And did I need special training for that? No, it was just made very inconvenient and expensive and I changed my ways, right? So I don't think that sustainability or circularity necessarily needs that extra special it's just a change of behavior, you know, and, and, and we do that all the time. We change our behaviors all the time. We just need the right impulses to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you see any particular role in collaboration inside the organization? Uh, I sometimes think that circularity is such an opportunity for uh, organizational transformation because uh, it cuts through all silos um, it includes the supply chain product design sales marketing so everyone is involved and in order to succeed it helps to collaborate is it something you also see this special or say yeah well ideally we collaborate anyway i mean a hundred percent it's going to be needed uh, is absolutely crucial. And, you know, I know we've all heard like, you know, partnership is the new leadership and, you know, all of these catchphrases, but it is true. Circularity, especially I would say, cannot happen in isolation. It just cannot because you need a whole ecosystem to make something circular. Um, so yeah, for sure within the organization. Absolutely. The, you know, uh, chief innovating officer or the head of R&D probably needs to hold hands with the CPO more than ever before. And we probably need to include the supply chain in the design, right? And invite them to, to co-create these circular solutions um, so we get the right materials in and, and we also know what to do with that at the end of the day. So I think you're absolutely right. Circularity does cross across a business, but also entire ecosystems outside of that business. So internally, it's about design and the marketing functions, definitely the procurement organization, um, the CEO responsibility. All these functions need to work together. Um, It's not going to be the head of sustainability who has the mandate to say, okay, from now on, these are the suppliers we work with. You know, no CPO wants to be told what to do. Not going to be the the head of sustainability that says, you know what, guys, I know we spent X number of years optimizing this, but we're actually changing. They're not going to have the mandate to change the entire business model. So obviously this needs to come from the management team, the board needs to be aware and all functions need to work together on execution. So it's really about embedding um, a, a circular mindset throughout the organization. Now I've talked about embedding sustainability in businesses for many years now. And, and this is another layer of that, right? Um, this is one way to, to reach those sustainability targets and, and, and to keep that work going. So definitely a need for, for collaboration. If, if the product design team comes to procurement and says, look, we designed this, uh, please fix. And they come back and like, yeah, 
okay, what am I supposed to, like, I can fix 20% of this. Yeah, okay, good enough, and off we go. It's such a lost opportunity, right? Yeah. And do you already see structures emerging? We normally say structure for the strategy, and, and you mentioned, you talked a lot about embedding circularity within the organization. We talk about collaboration. Do you see any consequences of these required practices on the structure of the organization? I do see a closer collaboration between design and, and procurement, for instance. And I thought earlier this year, I, I was at this event and it was the, um, uh, the CTO and the CPO of uh, a, a large OEM manufacturer. Uh, they make trucks and they were literally holding hands on face. <laughs> Uh, a little bit to underscore the relationship between the two function. And in this case, the, the discussion was a lot around green steel, mm -hmm. uh, green materials going into the trucks. Uh, but it was a really good visualization mm -hmm. of the collaboration that needs to take place. So I do think we're starting to, to see different functions um, collaborating more. But obviously, we also see as businesses actually get serious about understanding circularity uh, and start to invest in circularity, we do also see, you know, circular strategies emerging or at least a, a circularity as part of the sustainability strategy. And for those who are very mature, circularity as part of a sustainable strategy rather than just a, an extra sustainability strategy. But for sure, I've noticed um, a lot of, of new teams and task forces uh, that are cross-functional in different businesses with the sole purpose of figuring out what circularity means for that specific company, mm -hmm. um, where the investments needs to go and, and what the priorities need to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you see any, let's say, success factors or um, do you have a, gr a great story to share with saying that this really worked well uh, and this is so inspiring that can also help other companies? I think there are a lot of good examples uh, to learn from and be inspired by. Uh, almost hard to pick, but I, but I would say, you know, you have in every sector those those singular successes that are so great. Um, you mentioned I used to work for IKEA, uh, mm -hmm. where they've made huge investments in balers for the distribution center. So they can collect all that plastic and, and paper waste uh, and just, you know, squeeze it together in cubes and send it off into production. And they use that waste to then create new products. So, mm -hmm. for instance... Tomat spray bottle is uh, is made from from plastic waste and the skirf mm -hmm. uh, desktop cover and those stories are super inspiring I think and great um, I do think that you know starting to look at the things that happen at an even larger scale where you know restaurants for instance big restaurant chains take their food waste and send it into biofuel production. Uh, so it's not a waste product. It comes with a value. They've found, you know, that's a new revenue stream as well, sending all the old, you know, deep frying oils and, and things like that 
into production. And some of this has been going on long before we spoke about circularity. They were sending their their frying oil into cosmetic companies and things. But I think that the really inspiring stories are the ones where we see greater scale um, and where we see entire industries starting to change. And and yeah, like you've noticed by now, I'm, I, I personally am the most inspired when some really hard decisions around business models are being made when you like dare to really change. But there's so many businesses doing great work with circulator. I'm almost hesitant to name like specific ones. I do think I'd look at some of the leaders. Philips, for instance, is doing amazing work in the health mm-hmm. sector with circularity. Um, yeah, there's many uh, that you could mention, but really seek them out. Everything from pet food and how they sell in a, you know, sell in a subscription. Uh, where they send the pet food in bags home to people and you send back the empty bag. And uh, it's getting really good, uh, you know, net promoter scores. The customers are happy. The businesses are happy. They reduce the carbon footprint by, you know, double digit, very high number percent. And they also lower cost. And these are the examples that we need to get inspired by. Yeah, sounds exciting. Last question, what do you think, how long will this transformational journey keep us busy? How long is a string? Uh, (laughs) uh, I think we'll be busy for quite a while, uh, to be honest. And yeah, like I said, I, I... I love the businesses who love a good 100% target, right? 100% or 0% because then nobody can hide. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I struggle to understand what 100% circular actually means. And, and I, I don't know if it answered to that. What would that actually look like? But I think we'll be on this journey for quite some time. And I think maybe... You know, we can't let perfect get in the way of progress. And so we at least know how to start and we know how to progress. And that's what we need to do. And then we can worry about the end state where we are all fully circular. It's well integrated. There's no waste anywhere. Um, That would be a beautiful future, I think. But honestly, by then, we'll probably be talking about something else. You know, something else will come along. And that maybe will save us. I don't know. I just know that so far, it seems like there's not going to be like that silver bullet to fix all of our sustainability projects. But my point is, we know how to progress and that's enough. And we need to get going and we need to start make some big decisions and rethink some big things. And then maybe we don't need to worry about when we will be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just need to worry about the fact that we need to reduce carbon emissions by almost 50% by 2030, um, 43, but still, that's the deadline. You know, I, we don't need to worry about 2050 yeah, or yeah. perfect circularity or a net positive. We need to worry about the here and now, because if we miss the 2030 targets, the 2040 targets, doesn't matter. We'll all be knee deep just trying to keep the floods and fires at bay. There won't be time for the rest. So now is really the time to make some fundamental changes and then we can figure it out as we go. Love it. Thanks a lot, Angela. 
No, thank you. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. <laughs>